Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast. This is your host, Julie Fetterman. And welcome to the podcast where we're creating a platform for impressive women to inspire the world. So let's kick things off the way we know how to kick things off with some awesome reviews from Stitcher, from iTunes. And please, if you haven't already and you like what we're doing, spend a few minutes, write a quick review, give us a five star. All of that really, really makes an impact. So it'd be awesome for you to do. So let's head over to Stitcher today and starting off with a nice review that's titled Legit or too legit. How about both? Oh my God, I love that. (laughs) When I grow up, I want to be as legit as Julie and her guests. If you like thought-provoking and inspirational content with an awesome host, this is your place. A must-add to your stations. Marlon One says, loved it. I thought this was very insightful, fun, free-flowing podcast, and Julie is a natural host. Looking forward to more. And let's wrap things up with... Great podcast. I'm glad there's a podcast out there that showcases the stories of amazing women. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. That's amazing. Honestly, your words really make this so much more enjoyable to do. Doing a podcast can sometimes feel a little bit isolating. You're like, is anyone actually even listening to this? Do people actually care? So hearing those types of words of encouragement actually really do make a huge difference. So I just came back from a pretty long trip to India, at least long for anyone working a corporate job. We were gone for like about 20 days or so over the holidays. And I had the pleasure of going with my partner. And this trip was incredible, not only because India is such a beautiful country, but also because my partner's family is from India. And I was looking forward to this trip for quite some time because this is the first opportunity that I was going to meet most of my partner's family in person. It was actually this trip to India. And here I am going in with really low expectations because, I mean, I'm raised Jewish, I'm white, born and raised in Canada, and I'm known to have digestive trouble. So really, I was going in with the like, I'm planning on just... (laughs) having diarrhea the whole time or something ridiculous like that. But I have to say it was an incredible, incredible experience. I mean, the things that we saw were extraordinary. I mean, we started and ended in New Delhi. We stayed with family and got to see some sites around there, some cool monuments and gates and things. We flew to Mumbai to spend time with his aunt and cousin. Mumbai is a really big metropolitan city, huge, huge, huge place, beautiful skyline. Like it looked kind of like Miami in a way in some places. And then from there, we said goodbye to family and we actually had a hired driver because trust me, you don't want to drive in India unless you are local and know what the hell you're doing because that <laughs> that is nuts. <laughs> so we spent many hours in the car. We were driving around with a driver all through Rajasthan. And there were several occasions when our driver just suddenly swerves on the highway and he's swerving because there are cows. 
thousands of cows everywhere. And so cows don't have rules. And so they will just be in the middle of the highway and you're going at highway speed. So unless you know what you're doing, you really don't want to be driving in India. And we're driving from uh, places like Udaipur, which is beautiful, lots of lakes, very serene, gorgeous, very heritage type vibe town to places like Jodhpur, Jaipur, the pink city and those types of beautiful pictures you've probably seen and, you know, on Instagram or in movies and uh, and then all the way back to New Delhi. And it was just such a beautiful experience. I ate delicious food on a regular basis. I definitely got my fill and I took thousands of pictures. And if you're curious about some of the images that I captured, I've been slowly posting them on my personal Instagram, which is at Fleur de Julie, like Fleur de Lis, but Fleur de Julie. Haha. <laughs> and a couple of key takeaways that I had was actually more around being the only foreigner and only white person in a lot of public spaces. So especially if you're North American, imagine going to a massive, massive shopping mall, like probably two of your local malls put together at least, and being the only white person there. And maybe this is something that some of you have already experienced, but this was the first time I've ever experienced this before. And I've traveled quite a bit, even to places like Thailand, and there are always, you know, handfuls of expats or things like that. And that was new for me. And I was never uncomfortable, even though I had a lot of people either doing double takes, triple takes, or stopping in their, their footsteps. But what was very interesting was the amount of people who would stop me, not only in shopping malls, but you know, even other tourist, quote unquote, tourist places, and asking to take pictures with me. So they're like, oh my God, can I take a selfie with you? And it sometimes went a step further where people would actually want to touch my hand and, you know, like they would rub my skin. And there was actually a couple instances where people would hold their children out towards me, like Lion King style. <laughs> and quite frankly, I'm not 100% sure why. And I was talking to my partner about this because he's spent a lot of time in India and he was telling me, you know, hey, some of these people have grown up in the villages and they've actually never seen a white person in person before and they've only seen them on TV. So this is really a novelty and they want to you know, capture it and show their friends. I'm like, where do they post these pictures? Like, here's me and my new friend, right? Like, do they just share this on Facebook and say, like, look at me. I, I know a white person. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I don't understand some of it. I really have to say like the touching my skin, things like that. Like, are they seeing if, if, if it'll rub off? Like, are they trying to absorb whiteness? Very interesting. So if you are Indian, if you grew up in India, spent time there and you have any more insight to share with me, I really welcome it. And in a lot of the Indian pop culture, so I did get food poisoning once, ironically from a hotel, not the street food. <laughs> spend a lot of time watching Indian TV. And I love looking at uh, local music videos wherever I go. So people who know me know, know this about me. So as an example, when I was in other places in Southeast Asia or Japan, et cetera, I'd love watching music videos or commercials or just local TV. And pretty much every single music video had very light-skinned people. A lot of the commercials, the actors and actresses were all very light-skinned. And it's no surprise that a lot of the beauty products and things like that are promoting 
whitening or products that have bleach in it. This is a big thing in, in South Asian, Southeast Asian cultures. And I still don't get it. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is a very privileged perspective to come from, but this is why I think racism is ridiculous. It's literally just how you popped out of your mother, right? Um, that is the, the skin you have, and that's what it is. It doesn't say anything about the content of your character. Shout out to Martin Luther King. Um, it just is what you look like. So, I mean, although a lot of these instances with me and that exoticism happening around me and my skin tone were all generally positive, more or less, thankfully my partner is fluent in Hindi, so he was able to point out some of the, the guys that were just trying to be perverts. And he's like, don't take pictures with them because they're being creepy. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> but on the flip side, unless you're a local in India, uh, if you try to go to any attraction or museum, or even if you're trying to buy stuff in the street markets, you are automatically paying three to five X the price. So I, I knew this going into it. I you know, was well-educated going in, but at first it was like, okay, I get it. I understand the game. I understand what they're doing, but I actually found myself feeling feelings of frustration by the end. You know, we're going to a bird sanctuary and my price that I have to pay is, you know, significantly more expensive than a local that's trying to go to see the same attraction. So I understand they want to make things affordable. I understand that we're in areas where there's plenty of poverty and they want to make this accessible for locals, but it got to a point where I was like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Every single attraction. Um, so it was a very interesting experience for me. It's, it's, you know, again, coming from a very privileged perspective, traveling to a lot of uh, westernized countries or places that don't have that type of structure is different. But uh, it was all in all an incredible experience, a beautiful trip. India is a gorgeous country, and I highly recommend each of you have an opportunity to check it out at some point in your life. It is a huge country, so definitely don't think that you're going to go and do India in two or three weeks. You could spend a couple of months there at least and not see everything that it has to offer. And many regions of the country have very different experiences, different cultures, different food. It's like, it's like Europe. It's like going to Europe and expecting that every single place in Europe is going to be, uh, going to be different. So India was awesome. That was the take home message. <laughs> this week's guest, I am so excited. She said yes to coming on board to the podcast. I actually went to high school with our guest. And although we weren't particularly close in high school, quite frankly, she intimidated me a bit because she is gorgeous. She's very outspoken and very talented. I'm stoked to have had her on. She's an actress, quite a successful one at that, and a producer at the mini films. You might've seen her on Murdoch Mysteries, maybe some episodes of Suits. She's actually currently in a recurring role on BET's In Contempt and one heck of an amazing, talented human. Please give it up for Muna Traore.
first and foremost, thank you for being here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It is amazing to see you after so long. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. After such a great conversation with Solana and I I was like, you know what? I really need to have Moon on here too. So I'm really happy. Well, I love it when like ESA alumni get together because we have such a strong alumni. Everybody's doing so many cool, creative, interesting things. Sometimes like so far from what we majored in at ESA, but creative nonetheless. And so... It's cool. It's cool to participate and support. Yes. Amazing. Well, I very much appreciate it. So you know how this works. This is really about you. And we get to know you. <laughs> I'm like, nervous uh, smile. You're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> well, so what we're going to do is get to know you better through 10 main questions and lots of conversation throughout. I got some specific questions I'm going to throw in, but ultimately it's just a good conversation between us. Great. So to start things off, we're going to dive in headfirst with question one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? The advice that I give to my teenage self would probably be the same as the advice I give to my like 20 something self, which is um, to trust your gut, to follow your instinct and to not care about what people think. I think so much of my teenage years and so much of my 20s was about being likable and being worried about whether people like me or approve of me wanting to be validated by all the wrong people when I really should have been more focused on, do I like me? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I feel about me? How do I feel about the decisions I'm making? And trusting that I put so much stock into other people's opinions of me. And I let that really guide a lot of the decisions I made. And um, I feel like I lost the most power and the most time trying to please, trying to um, keep up, trying to mimic other people. Because I thought that's what was being asked of me or that was what was required of me when it was not at all. I had the, the, I got it all wrong, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I empathize a lot with that. I even now catch myself trying to seek validation on a pretty regular basis. Even, I think we all do. I think yeah. it's like a norm, it's an aspect of human condition, of right. the human condition. Right. But I mean, especially back in high school, I mean, yeah, you're, you're in this really awkward social situation. And so you're trying to do and say and look like the things that people want. I mean, for you, especially in the line of work that you're in, is that amplified to a next level because you are constantly in the public eye or you are consistently being evaluated in auditions by other people? I think it's more like through social media and the public eye thing. Like Mm -hmm. I am hyper conscious of the implications of me being me, that like what it would have on my career. And like I'm a very kinky, perverted, sexual, dirty person. I have a very like we should be closer friends that sounds awesome (laughs) i have a very like filthy over the top sense of humor and i don't share nearly as much uh, about like that side of me because one it doesn't get validated and two it with social media people become um you like people attach a narrative to you they attach all kinds of things that aren't you to it and so I don't want to be pigeonholed just as that or, you know, like 
I've done a lot of photo shoots where I look, I'm like in a very erotic or sexual position, but I don't post it because I am afraid of, you know, perhaps people in the industry then only seeing me as like the sexy girl or whatever, because I'm Mm -hmm. so many more things. And I think if you're like a model or you're exclusively in one industry where it's not going to have implications for you, that's great. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately for me, there's a whole array of things that I want to do. And I think it's too early in my career to be marketing myself that way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Mm -hmm. But like, that's why I have a whole Instagram that nobody knows about. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) what? I have a Finsta and like, it's actually alleviated so much stress because it's like, like I... I always go to my phone. I'm like, oh, I want to post this thing, but I can't. Well, actually I can. And I do it to a select group of people who are my very close friends who are not going to like share those images, who know me very well and who appreciate that side of me. And so I still get to live out that part of me and I get to express those things. That's awesome. I'm so jealous of the people who have access to this whole Instagram of yours. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's a very, very small community. And it's yeah. also girls and gays only. Like, I have yeah. no straight cis men. None. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, n- because I think sometimes, especially when you're showing sharing nudity or sharing, like, anything explicit, it can become performative for... Um, men sometimes mm-hmm. because we're inundated with messages from such a young age where how we feel about our bodies has to do with how men respond to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm so not about that. I don't care what men think about my body, whatever. And I don't want that to influence how I share. It's not just my body, but like my humor, anything. Like I don't want to be thinking of whether or not I'm attractive to a man. That's what my main Instagram's for. That's mm-hmm. why I have so many selfies and those like pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. They can get that there. But right. for my close friends and my gays, like you getting full on fuckery. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, and it totally feeds into that dialogue of your motivation for posting something in a particular way. And so that's your safe space to be able to do whatever you exactly. want. And it's all for you. And it's curated. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm curious to understand, because you were mentioning being in the public eye and, and being careful of how you present yourself so you don't eliminate opportunities in the future. Do you feel at any point in time that you've been almost exoticized as an actress of color up to now? Or have you been like pleasantly surprised how things have gone on? Okay, so I think this question is almost like twofold for me because Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say I feel like I've been exoticized in my career, Mm -hmm. but like sexually and in dating, yeah, of course. In my career, it's more so that uh, when I first started acting, I had an agent and I was working with people who saw me a certain way. And so I was, and it wasn't in this way that it was like, oh, she's an exotic black beauty or like sexualizing me. It was more so like they had an idea of me and that's what they wanted my career to look like. They had an Mm -hmm. idea of what kinds of roles I should do, what my hit was, Mm -hmm. and that just didn't vibe with me. And as soon as I changed my reps and the people that I worked with and they really understood and appreciated me for who I was, like the tone of what I would audition for completely changed. So if you look at my resume, you can actually see that I 
every single thing that I've done has been pretty distinct. Like I did Brown Girl Begins, which was a coming coming of age story that was like Afro future sci-fi. I did Murdoch Mysteries, which is like a period show. I did In Contempt, where I play a black girl who was raised by white parents who is working in a criminal defense office. Um, it's been a really wide variety. It's pretty badass. Yeah. So I'm, I'm lucky and I don't like, I think that for some actors, especially 10, 15 years ago, that would probably be the case. But for me, I think because I've been coming up during this like push for diversity, it's really allowed me to work on things that aren't so two dimensional. Mm hmm. Well, good for you for actually taking the agency to say, listen, this first situation doesn't feel Girl, right with me. Girl, it took years, man. though. It took years for me really? to feel empowered enough in my position as an actor to be able to like, no, like, I'm the gatekeeper. This is what I want for my career. When I first started, I was 16, and my idea was like, oh, you tell me what to do. Right. I'll do what you tell me to do, or what, what do you think? Because I didn't have parents who were helping me navigate my career. I didn't have a mentor to sort of help or support me in that. So my voice was not present in a lot of the decisions that were going on. Whereas, I, I mean, I turned, I think I was like 2021 20, when I switched agents. And um, that was a point where I felt like, oh, this is me. I don't care what anybody thinks. Like, I'm going to wear my hair like this. I'm going to look like this. I'm going to play these kinds of parts. And I can tell you that once I started going on auditions and I stopped wearing makeup, I started booking jobs way more. It's insane. Wow. Like, That's when, great. Yeah. But when I was young, I had this idea that I had to look like glamorous and look yeah. beautiful all the time. And Black like Barbie. And honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I can tell you that a lot of my auditions, I go in looking like a fucking rag mop. <laughs> I mean, shit, it means you're talented. <laughs> no, but it, because, it, because it's about the work. Yeah. Honestly, it's just about the work. And um, like, not to say like, I, I am blessed to be someone who is quote unquote attractive in, in just according to industry terms. So I can put it on and I can take it off or whatever. But um, I am not limited by it where mm -hmm. I think that there are some actresses who their main thing is that they're pretty Yeah, and they're tons of careers that are built on that, but that's not what I want for myself and I'm not interested in that. Yeah, pretty doesn't last. What is, Judge Judy says, beauty fades, dumbest forever. <laughs> Something like that. Bless her. <laughs> she is, she's always dropping gems. I know, right? Um, curious, last thing on this was, what changed in you or what big realization did you have to drop your old representation? Um, well, it was like an ongoing thing where I was feeling uncomfortable for several years. But for me, it was just like, I don't like this person. I don't feel comfortable talking to this person. And this person doesn't get me. And I am someone, I'm a chameleon. I'm like mm -hmm. the definition of a chameleon. I change my hair, my look constantly. I am so many things. I have multiple talents. And to be working with someone who saw... 2% of what I was and wanted to make that 100%, it just wasn't enough. And I, I knew that I couldn't go to where I wanted to go to and have what I wanted to have within this industry if I continued working with that person. Good on you for standing up. I mean, 
better, quote unquote, late than never, but I still see a really long, amazing career in your future. Oh, so, thanks. Yeah. Oh, no, I feel like I'm still at the beginning. It's crazy. Like right. this year, I feel like I'm 18 again. Maybe it has to do with <laughs> the fact that I'm living with my parents, but um, <laughs> no, I feel like I'm just starting. I don't know. It's I can't even explain it. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. That's great. Well, and already with all of these great experiences under your belt, that's a great place to, you know, quote unquote, start your career. Great. Well, let's move on to question two, which is what's your proudest accomplishment? My proudest accomplishment. I would say um, winning the best short film award mm. at the Montreal Black Film Festival. I can't even remember what year that was. I think it was in 2016. 16. Oh my yeah. God. I, love I creeped you. Know. you. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> I creeped you online. Because <laughs> we so didn't expect to win. Like we didn't even dress up for the award show because we were just going to attend to support other people. Like we assumed that we were, because our nobody liked our film. Like we would get, emails from programmers, you know, or we'd ask them for feedback and it was, some of it was scathing. And so I really, just, yeah. So we just assumed that like, yeah, we were nominated, but it was just not like, like we didn't, um, like we thought we were just included because not because they actually valued the film. And so when we, and we saw all the other films too, and we were like, oh my God, that guy's film is definitely going to win. It's so good. We loved it. <laughs> he was wearing a suit and tie. He was ready to take that award home. He was like, <laughs> like, had like, the speech. <laughs> yeah. He was so ready. Like we had no, we had nothing prepared. Cause we, I, like we, I was almost going to skip the ceremony. Cause I was like, you know what? I want to <laughs> go home. I think I forgot what I was doing, but I had to, I think I was shooting the next day. So mm -hmm. I had to catch a plane. And, um, yeah, that was like a really, um, moving experience just because it was like, oh, they got it. And I think it makes sense that it was the Montreal Black Film Festival, because I think some of the other festivals we were submitting to, uh, weren't oriented towards like the black experience. So how could they understand the nuanced things in a film? Because in a very subtle way, I was dealing with race. I was dealing with um, some touchy, touchy subjects. So, uh, yeah, that was a really proud moment. Well, I can only imagine. And that was for Adorn, right? Yes. And you produced that film. And I wrote it as well. Wow. Yeah. So that's really neat because I, I feel like that's not a super common thing, but maybe I'm ignorant on this, that, um, you are an actress, but also are a writer and producer. I think it's becoming more and more common. Okay. Um, I, I feel like so many of the actors and creators I know are doing like wearing multiple hats. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes out of the fact that like, especially if you are a minority, you're not necessarily going to get the opportunities to work and do the things that you want to do if you're just waiting for your agent to call you. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that came out of. It was just sort of like, I want to explore this thing. I wrote this, I was dealing with a situation. I wrote about it and I wanted to create something with it. Um, and, uh, I was just, I didn't have, my career wasn't, um, flourishing at the time. So I had the time, I had the space to, to do it. That is so meaningful that you saw a gap and you decided to fulfill it. Like, Hey, I would like to really represent the black experience in an authentic way. So that's a niche I'm going to fill. 
Is that what got you into producing in the first place? Yeah, 100%. It was just mm -hmm. sort of like looking around and being like, I see so many talented women and people of color who aren't working, who aren't getting validated by this industry. Why not create a platform so that I, myself, and others can create and do the work that we want to do and that we're capable of and at least find some sort of outlet? Because it's unfortunate. There are a lot of people who are in this industry who don't get a chance because of how they look or they're, you know, you might not be tall enough or whatever. There's just, it's so, it is a game of optics as well. Mm -hmm. So that's why we started the company and that's why um, I've started creating. That's so cool. Yeah, I empathize. I mean, I grew up dancing and I still remember being like a fairly young child going to the national ballet and it was like their sort of open audition day and I'm this short kind of chubby kid in this big ballet studio with tons of like leggy skinny children and I just felt so out of place it was just not yeah, and it's not even that you don't have the passion or determination it's just or like technique, you, don't, you right? don't fit the type that's it yeah that's literally sometimes what it comes down to yeah um I mean, and that happens to me for roles all the mm -hmm. time, which is like, my skin's too dark. Mm -hmm. I have had people tell me that, and I've heard <laughs> about conversations that were happening about me behind my back on, during production about Ugh. that. And it's not something I can help, but, you know, like things like that happen. <laughs> yeah, you're like, great, I'm just gonna peel this off and like put on a lighter shade. Like, like you can't do that, yeah. that's ridiculous. I've had friends who were recast because they're like, you know what, you're 20 pounds too heavy. <laughs> It was like, oh, this role initially was going to be one way and now we're taking another direction and you just don't fit the type now. Wow. Yeah. Do you see that as a standard that's going to eventually change? It already is, I think. Mm -hmm. It's slowly but surely and obviously like it's such a small percentage, but I think that percentage is going to grow because I think people respond to it. Mm -hmm. I was um, like online shopping on the ASOS website and all of nice. the models are normal girls. Like for one swimsuit, you might see a girl who is a size 10 or a size two or whatever, but it's like not just skinny girl, skinny girl, skinny girl, skinny girl. You see a variety of bodies and it's not labeled like, oh, this is curve or whatever. There is a petite section, but I think petite may be children. Or like no no petite is like me oh okay like <laughs> short people yeah like it's not like but like but like it's not it doesn't necessarily mean like skinny or no whatever. no and I and I think and I I was so legs. into it <laughs> and I think that people are responding to that like we want to see ourselves reflected in the media yeah yes absolutely uh, even with like Rihanna's latest oh her savage like Fenty savage campaign. Fenty campaign yeah yeah it's like yeah of course we want to see like women bodies which yes. means like women who have given birth women who have stretch marks women who have all these things it's like we all do i work out every single day i have stretch marks yeah and saggy titties <laughs> that's fine right i know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how much you do genetics and humanhood is exactly that um and i also think and, and tell me if i'm wrong i think especially with the amount of attention that um all this misogynistic stuff has been getting in the entertainment industry, it seems like that is starting to force a bit of a change. Um, I'm not sure if that's something that you felt or observed on your side at all, or if you disagree. I mean, I'm 
obviously just an objective person, but it seems like this is now sparking further conversation into challenging a lot of entertainment norms. I think that I haven't um, had that much like hands-on experience with it, but I do see that in terms of like how people are being portrayed, women are being portrayed, storylines, etc. Um, they're really making efforts to create some sort of balance and at least critique um, patriarchy and misogyny in terms of like how characters are uh, depicted. Mm -hmm. uh, I just watched the new season of House of Cards and the yep. Me Too movement <laughs> is all over that without even actually saying it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, their lead was one of the people who got taken down by it. So how could they not in some kind of way speak to that whole thing? Yeah. You know? Their literal portrayal of, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> of making their, what is it, their Senate completely women. The cabinet was the cabinet rather, women. yeah. 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 Like that, that is such a powerful and image. Then, and then I think it was like at one point when, I, I don't know if it was a journalist or somebody who's like, oh, she's weaponizing her femininity and like the way that the the season ends it's just crazy yeah and yeah. it's and it's like the biggest hope and the biggest fear of the thing yep yep agreed <laughs> so good transition to question three which is speaking of taking over the world how do you balance work and life i don't um one of my biggest issues is that um i identify too much with work and so mm. when I'm not working I'm I get very depressed and I'm deeply unhappy I'm the happiest when I'm on set and when I'm working that is like my happy place and it's been um a way for me to avoid dealing with things in my life so I'm working on finding that balance um like I use work as a reason not to date I still do as like a reason <laughs> not to like have serious relationships or to go out, um, I lived downtown for years, so I had like a very social, like from age like 17 to like 25, 26, just like going out, partying, whatever. And um, now the past couple of years, I've just been much more um, a homebody when I'm not working, but that's also because I was working so much. Mm -hmm. um, you gotta take care of yourself. Yeah, and so, um, trying to encourage myself to take time off, um, go on trips. And, you know, as an actor, there's always this feeling of, oh, I'm going to miss an audition or, you know, what if this thing comes up or la la la. And um, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what, if I miss an audition, it wasn't meant for me or whatever. I need to do this for myself. And um, when I make a point of taking time off to do something for me. It actually only helps my acting. Mm -hmm. um, spending time with family, doing those sorts of things are like the best reminder of who I am at like my core and what my values are. And so uh, trying to make more time and space for that, but it's like a learning curve. That's part of like, you know, what I work on in therapy mm -hmm. is like, okay, how do I deal with all these things that are coming up because I'm not working. Because when I'm working, I don't have to deal with those things. And right. then when I'm not working, it's like, oh, family shit. Oh, I'm lonely and I'm like, don't have romance or, you know, yeah. oh, I've been neglecting my body. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're sharing is so common. 
I mean, so many of us, doesn't matter if we're creatives or if we work in the tech sector, like literally anything, if we throw ourselves into our work, it's that denial of everything else. It's, oh, I'm just going to keep so busy that I can't, I don't have the bandwidth to think about all of these other feelings that are deep down inside. So you mentioned therapy, which is great. Is there anything else that you've been engaging in that's been helping with that depression or all of those feelings that you were sharing? Well, I think part of the issue for me is not having like a regular schedule because mm-hmm. even when I do have a job, you know, I might be on set at four o'clock in the morning, I might be on set at 4 p.m. And so it's really hard to build an infrastructure in my life that supports me when I don't have a regular schedule. Mm-hmm. So when I'm not working, one of the things that sort of regulates me is going to the gym and like committing to that every single day. And I've only really been good at it for the past like couple weeks recently. <laughs> I've had times in my life where I've been like really, really good every single day with the trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now I'm not working with the trainer, but I'm doing like a, a body boot camp program Ooh. and I do it on my own. And so that's one of the things that sort of keeps me on a regular pace. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's great. I mean, moving around that gets all of those feel good hormones going. I mean, I don't even work out every day, so that takes a lot of commitment. So I'm I tip my hat to you. <laughs> oh, but no. it's like actually I was gonna say it's for purely vain reasons, but it's not. It actually does like like when I work out, I work out usually in the afternoon, evening, so it tuckers me out so that I can actually fall asleep at night. Yeah. Um it raises my serotonin levels. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, I mean, yeah, there are reasons other than trying to look like a supermodel exactly and if you're like me and love to eat then you know girl necessary evil girl you don't even know how much i eat you don't know (laughs) how much i ate this last weekend it was terrible (laughs) yeah you only live once right so that's i know about my digestion she can't she can't handle it (laughs) it's too much for her it's too much it's all good okay question four can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life Oh, girl, where do I start? (laughs) It's been one difficult night. The whole thing has been one difficult moment. Um, um, One of the most recent, like, difficult moments. Well, not recent, but, like, when my sister... So my sister, uh, she currently works at CAMH, but... um, And she's a peer support worker. But... I I don't know what her title is officially. But um, in two... From about 2012 to 2014, 15, my sister was experiencing psychosis that was induced by, um, she was partying in Israel and she was on acid and she dropped M and basically it induced schizoaffective disorder. Wow. And it was a really, really difficult time for myself and my entire family because when she was sick, which was like for three and a half years, uh... It it was just like dealing with the symptoms of it, her mania, her anger, like rage, um, her, you know, religious delusions, all kinds of things was really, really hard and took a toll on everybody. Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine that that's, that's terrifying to see a loved one who is not acting like, you know, they are, um, 
Is that something that is fairly common? And what is that typically caused by? Like, was it a mix of the drugs? I don't know very much about this. I don't know if it's common or not. Like, I don't know the statistics about it or anything. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is that, so my mother is schizophrenic. So obviously my sister and I probably have a predisposition towards it. That's part of the reason why I don't do drugs because Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to uh, test the limits of my biology Mm -hmm. uh, or my genetics. Uh, whereas my sister, she definitely experimented with drugs. She smoked a lot of marijuana, drank a lot. She was someone who really like overindulged with substances. And um, she, you know, pushed herself to the limit. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for her, it resulted in um, a serious mental illness, which she's going to have to balance for the rest of her life. But there are some people, you know, look at Mick Jagger, he's still kicking it, you know, mm-hmm. and he he was able to use copious amounts of drugs. And I'm sure he mixed all kinds of things. But um, I guess for my sister, it was just something that, um, you know, her, her body and her brain couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, many of us think like, hey, if I do this once, it should be fine. But there's been a lot of instances of um like other drugs inducing other things like yeah. even mushrooms can induce schizophrenia oh really yeah i didn't if even you know take that. too many mushrooms yeah shit i mean even um even marijuana can induce things like disassociation um episodes and psychosis yeah, yeah. and and so people really like to be in denial about how drugs um, can impact them, especially if they only do it every once in a while or infrequently. But, but it, can, yeah, it, it really can alter your brain chemistry yeah. and um, your ability to process certain kinds of information, to manage emotions, to self-regulate. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that for some people in some communities, casual drug use is not seen as a thing. Mm-hmm. But... I think that there are a lot of consequences and implications that perhaps people see as personality traits because that's sort of what happened with my sister. Mm -hmm. So many things that we thought were her personality were actually her symptoms of mental illness manifesting. Really? Like what? Um, Just like her delusions of grandeur, which weren't so overt. It wasn't like, oh, I'm the queen or whatever, but it was just like, (laughs) you know, like she she had a bit of a superiority complex thing and we always made jokes about it, but that was her, that was the symptom that wasn't really her. Like this like competitive, um, aggressive need to be dominant in every situation. Um, Her paranoia, Things were, and we look back at it now, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But at the time, mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, she's just she's just like that. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. How were you able to support her and regulate your feelings towards her? I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that our family is a family that we eat dinner together every single night. So we talk about it a lot. And we Aww. are very like, you know, when my sister um, came back and sought care and got help uh you know everybody sort of rallied together to go to appointments to make sure that she was like getting what she needed from the system so that she could be healthy but also like just socializing with her and in a way where um 
like nobody treated her as different nobody coddled her or anything it was just sort of like okay like take care of your shit like you're back you know <laughs> and um it's funny because i don't know if it was a week or two ago my sister uh my family was invited to participate in a group at CAMH of parents who were um seeking help mm -hmm. for their own children who were dealing with mental health issues mm -hmm. and um for my family, since we're so far from it now, like my sister's like totally recovered. Like if you met her, you probably would never know. Right. She's a completely healthy person. But part of it came from like all of us just treating her. And this is what we told these families, like like tough love and treating her like anybody else, but also like knowing that nothing's changed too, mm -hmm. you know, um, like not treating her like she was different. Mm-hmm. That's a really important reminder for a lot of people who are dealing with some degree of mental illness. Like there's a, a place and time to be compassionate and, and loving, but there's also an opportunity where things kind of have to go on as normal and they have to have some degree of responsibilities and expectations that they have to fulfill. Like obviously realistic ones that make sense mm -hmm. that they can be set up for some degree of success, but like not walking on eggshells entirely. Yeah. Um, I think it was just that like our expectations for her were still like to be a healthy, well-adjusted, normal person who mm -hmm. contributed to society and to her family. Whereas I think that one of the big problems in our society is that we just like medicate people, put them on welfare and like shut them away. Yeah. Um, which is what happened to my mother. So really? she, her, like my mother is not someone who I would say is like integrated in society in the way that like, say we are, mm -hmm. like she is medicated and very little is expected of her. She gets her money from the government and, you know, she does what she does with her time. Whereas with my sister, my parents were like, no, you're not going into housing. You're not going on welfare. You're not going on this. Like you're living at home and she she ended up going back to school so my sister went to mcgill graduated from university of toronto and then went to george brown completed a certificate did a bunch of co-ops and jobs and volunteered and now she has a full-time job at cam h and wow. so it's like 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 it wasn't like we were gonna be like oh like you don't have to do the same thing as everybody else or and i'm not saying that that's for every case my sister's um, my sister actually is very unique in her recovery because most people who went through what she went through don't recover as well, hmm. unfortunately. It seems like she was really, really lucky to have such an incredible family to think of this in a really well-adjusted way and realistic way and have that consistency well, it was I'm not going to act like it was like all the time we were like very rational or whatever. It was just sort of like how, I don't know, it's just how we responded to it. Yeah. Um, I don't like. I don't think anybody was like thinking like, oh, it has to be A or B. It's just naturally what happened. And I think that if if it had been different, or if my parents had given her a pass or whatever, mm -hmm. she might still be in her room, you know, isolating herself and not socializing with people, and you know, still I don't know feeling depressed and sick and 
Good on you. <laughs> and good on your parents, especially you said coming from your mom who was going through all the stuff or still is going through yeah. um, being medicated. Now. I should say though, like mm-hmm. when I say my parents, I'm talking about my dad and my stepmom. Oh, got um, it. My, my, I, my parents were actually never married. So got yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Got it. So your biological mom is the one you're referring to. Yes. Yeah, so she's uh, okay. the one who's sick. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. Or living with schizophrenia. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys certainly stepped up to the plate. So give yourself a little bit of credit. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I am, I am. But my sister also gets a tremendous amount of credit because yep. she was able to put up with our tough love. Absolutely. And, you know, come out from under it. But and it takes a, a like a very strong spirit. Obviously, like my family's like a, a family of very obnoxious, <laughs> uh, opinionated, confrontational people. So, right. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I feel like your family dinners would actually be really fun. They are. They're very fun. <laughs> <laughs> Missing family dinner tonight. Oh, no. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to question five, which is who or what inspires you the most? The most? Yeah, you got to pick favorites here. Well, I would just say like successful black women. Like, mm. like probably the most would be Oprah. But under the Oprah umbrella is like Shonda Rhimes, Whoopi Goldberg, Naomi Campbell, Angela Bassett, Michelle Obama, uh, Gina Torres, um, Octavia Butler, like just black women out there being creative, doing the damn thing. Mic drop. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like literally those are my inspirations. Yep. Well, they are incredible and impressive women, so... I don't blame you. That's awesome. And uh, is there any any other inspirations creatively that you have, other inputs? Well, right now, mm-hmm. I am so inspired by the film Mid-90s that was written and directed by Jonah Hill. I, for the last like week and a half or so since I saw the film, have just been moved and struck by the film. And it's it's made me more clear about how I want to communicate my story and translate it to a film and uh, how I want how I want people to feel coming out of that experience. Wow. That sounds so profound. I've never heard of it. Like Jonah Hill, like funny Jonah Hill or yeah. like, wow, really? Yeah. his It actually premiered at TIFF this year. Okay. But it's a, a film that's, I guess, his, his thumbprint, his... Uh, a reflection of his childhood growing up in California in skating culture. Cool. And it's, I think it's beautiful. I love it. I'm sure there are people who disagree, but that's what's like everything. (laughs) Yeah. But that's what's really inspiring me right now. Oh, that's so cool. I'm definitely gonna have to add it to my to watch list. All right. Question six. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? I think when I went to Berlin in 2014 and I just had no idea what I was doing, I just had a shitty year acting and nothing was working out. I applied to a program, like a conservatory program, didn't get in. And I told myself, I was like, well, if I'm not, if I don't get into this program, then I'm going to Berlin. Why Berlin? Um, well, I was trying to decide between Copenhagen and Berlin and Berlin's cheaper. All right. <laughs> and it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> but I wanted to go somewhere that didn't speak English and where I didn't know anybody. So yeah. And it was just a great adventure. That's so cool. Are there any big highlights from that? Um, yeah. Like, you know, 
going to Poland with my girlfriend for what we thought was going to be a day trip and then ending up staying there like overnight and sleeping in a field. What? Uh, breaking into an abandoned amusement park, an abandoned amusement park twice. Um, I don't know. It was just like, you know. Wait, what? why twice? Because <laughs> it was so cool. Like, I, I don't know. I, you like, just had to go back? Yeah. Uh, what else did I do? I don't know. I just did lots of really random fun stuff, traveling around Europe here and there. Uh, just like, I just wanted to like live somewhere else and have a totally exist different existence. Like I just wanted to wake up every day and have my surroundings be completely different than they were at home. And that's what I did. And it was just, it just unlocked something in my spirit. Like I felt so stuck. And then when I came home, I was unstuck. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Man, yeah, I love travel. That's incredible. And so do you go with your friend or did you meet people while you were there? No, I just met people. I Like oh. literally um, the first day I got there, I had a friend who had, I think he just moved to Sweden, but he was mm -hmm. like visiting Berlin and he invited me out and I didn't go home till the next day. Like, and I just met all these people and I'm someone who I'm very friendly. I'm like, you could put me in Uzbekistan and I'd make friends. Like I, I'm not, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very okay to like meet people and like make friends and socialize on my own. So it was just like, like such an adventure, just making new friends and making really close friends. Um, people who I'm sure I'm going to be friends with for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, interesting. And it's crazy because Berlin is almost like a sister city to Toronto. There are so many Toronto people in Berlin. Really? Yeah, it's insane. And, um, but people, like I became friends with people who I never would have been friends with in Toronto. That's cool. Yeah. Give me an example. Uh, my girlfriend, Marina, I met her my first day in Berlin. We had tons of mutual friends, had never met in Toronto. Um, the first day I met her, I was like, hey, like, cause she was traveling around Europe. So she, she was stopping in Berlin as well. And um, I was like, hey, do you want to go to Croatia? Like, let's meet up and go to Croatia. And then we ended up doing that. And, you know, I saw her last week and she's pregnant. And she's like, like it, it was just like someone who, you know, I met randomly who happened to be from the same city and like in a similar social circle. And now we're friends five years later still in Toronto and yeah man the world is really majestic like that like this type of stuff happens literally all the time yeah like my now best friend that i met was randomly on the same uh, birthright trip to israel with me and her name is julia and so i literally looked around the table of all these people on this trip and she had like super funky dyed hair and was like also really out there artsy fartsy kind of interesting chick and i'm like yep yep this is the girl i'm gonna be friends with and it, it was just so funny we had so many things in common just clicked instantly and then decided to extend our trip together and just see more of the country so i totally empathize yeah, it's that's really great. fun really fun stuff and you mentioned like the love of being able to go somewhere and you know not know anyone being in the public eye do you get recognized only Often. by like old people like really yeah <laughs> like i like i i rarely get recognized and if i do it's usually by like people who watch murdoch mysteries <laughs> you know um oh that's kind of cute yeah yeah 
you know, but like not, no, Aww. I'm, it's, again, I'm a chameleon and so many of the things I've done, like if you look at me on In Contempt and then you look at me on Murdoch Mysteries, I look so different. Mm-hmm. And so I think for a lot of people, it's hard to like recontextualize. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't get recognized very often. Really? Which is great. That, I mean, I guess it does work to your advantage. So yeah. You don't ride the subway all the time. <laughs> um, so no like weird fan stories. No. Really? Not yet. Oh, man. No. I have to revisit this in a couple of years. Yeah, maybe. And you'll be like, yeah, I have all these dudes mailing me their underwear and stuff. No. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I, th- I mean, honestly, I see big things for you. I honestly think that you are going to just continue to rise. So thank you. You're going to have more fans, I'm sure. Being like, hopefully. Are you Muna? Oh, my God. I'll be like, I went to high school with her back in the day. Oh, yeah. God. I think back to like those times. <laughs> yeah. If I could tell my teenage self anything, I'd be like, be nicer. Stop being a jerk. <laughs> it's not cute. I know. You're going to be embarrassed by this <laughs> in 10 years. I know. I know. Kid, kids are the worst. I mean, kids are dicks. But I know. I no. think back to that. And it's like, we live in this time where like, you know, people go back and they find people's twitters and whatever and then you have you you experience real consequences for things that you did 10 15 years ago yeah and so sometimes i think oh god like if my high school middle school self comes back to haunt me (laughs) yes i mean my brain wasn't fully formed and i was going through all (laughs) kinds of shit yeah but it still sucks that like i look back on myself and i'm like oh i was i mean i wasn't happy and hurt people hurt people but like i was kind of shitty to a lot of people yeah but You know, at least as an adult, you have an opportunity to change how you act moving forward. Unless I get outed on Twitter. I mean, well, (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed, fingers crossed you don't have anything out there. Yeah. No, 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 I don't. But I mean, you know what I mean? It's so true. I'm sure I wrote something snarky in somebody's yearbook. Like, I'm sure, like, I'm sure there's like, (laughs) you know. Uh, now I'm scared. I'm going to have to go back and look at my yearbooks and see what happened. Um, but no, I mean, like, that's just, that's high school, man. High school is such a brutal place sometimes. I even know. now, even with social media, people I can't are so- imagine <sighs> what it's like for kids nowadays. No. Yikes. I know. I watched 13 Reasons Why and I was like, wow. Oh, I'm not watching that. That looks stressful. It is, is very stressful. I am so over shows that stress me out. No. It's like, even This Is Us. I don't know if I can keep watching it. Every yeah. show... <laughs> It's like fucking emotional torture. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. Literally at work, everyone just keeps talking about every time they watch an episode of This Is Us and how much they cry the next day. I dare you You not to cry. You know. Dare you. I know. I don't blame you. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Question seven. What do you attribute your success to? My parents, like their financial support throughout the years has meant that I've been able to have the career that I have. Because if I was going through university and all those years of like kind of working as an actor without having their support to help me pay rent and whatever, Mm -hmm. like, no, I wouldn't be here. And it sucks, but you know, it takes a certain amount of privilege to be an artist. Um, And I was able to make it to auditions on time with enough sleep because I had the privilege of having parents who were helping me out. I wasn't working at a restaurant till three o'clock in the morning the night before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
like I I can't say enough about you know the fact that I'm here is because I had people like supporting me and helping me to get here like there are so many people who want this more than anything but they literally can't afford to go to classes whereas you know my parents were helping me pay to go to class mm -hmm. you know acting classes and you know to pay for my headshots and all these things and if I had had to do it myself and pay for all of the self-tapes all of the pictures and all of the classes and whatever I doubt my resume would look like it does maybe it would I don't know maybe the constraints would put force me to work even harder I don't know mm -hmm. but I I feel as though a huge part of it is because they took a, a whole lot of stress off of me did that ever come to mind when you decided to pursue acting full time? No, no. I mm -hmm. decided I wanted to be an actor when I was like three years old. And <laughs> when my parents, because my parents were not supportive of it. And right. when I was like a teen and my parents weren't supportive, I was like, I will strip if it, if I have to, in order to like support myself as an actor. You can keep talking. I'm just going to get you some tea. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was I was going to be an actor no matter what. And I was ready to starve for it. I was ready. Like, I love acting so much. I was born to be an actor. Like, there was never going to be anything else that I was ever going to do. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. Like, I was never going to be a lawyer or a doctor. No. So I would have found a way no matter what. I know that. I believe that 100%. But I was lucky that I didn't have to you know, I, I'm, I was lucky that I didn't have to strain that hard because I know mm -hmm. for some people, especially, you know, say you have a kid or whatever, it's like, are you going to choose between feeding your kid or doing this thing that now suddenly feels gratuitous yeah, and I indulgent? Mean, yeah. And I feel like there's flavors of that, not necessarily with pursuing, say, acting, but even people who are delusional about, hey, I'm going to become, say, an Instagram star, or I'm going to do this, and all my dreams are going to come true, as opposed to pursuing like a more conventional career. I think a lot of it has to do with intention, though. It's like, mm -hmm. are you becoming an Instagram star because you just want to be famous? Or is there like something attached to it that has some meaning? For me, I would be fine being an actor if nobody knew me and I was doing like backwards theater mm -hmm. if if that like like if that's what my heart wanted and what I, like like I don't know how to explain this like my reason for being an being an actor is completely authentic it's because I can't not do it it's the thing that makes me the happiest it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do I act constantly when I'm at home, when I'm like, I'm just always doing the thing. And I'm not like, yes, I would love to have lots of money and be famous and all these things. But even if that never happens, I'm still going to act. Mm -hmm. Even if I had to pay to act, I would still act. I would pay to do this job because I love it so much. Damn. That's passion. Yeah. <laughs> You're I mean, hired. You're hired. <laughs> but like, I don't know how to explain it. Like you watch videos of me from the time I'm like four years old and that's all I'm doing. It's like very distinct from all the rest of my siblings. It's mm -hmm. like whenever the camera's on me, I'm just 
performing, you know, like it was just always something that was in me. You must've been a really cute kid. Um, you know, I had some phases, I had some phases, <laughs> but I turned out all right. I cooked yeah. well. I was marinating. I was marinating. Right. Right. <laughs> Thanks. We got like tea delivery happening here. It's I good. Know, it's good marvelous. stuff. Yes. <laughs> okay. So question eight is what item or items could you never live without? Definitely couldn't live without my glasses or contacts because I'm very blind. And that's something that I, I'm terrified of, like ever being stuck somewhere without my glasses or without contacts, because if I can't see, like I will hurt myself or someone else. And that terrifies me. Have you always had bad vision? Um, for most of my life, yeah. Mm. I think I got glasses when I was like eight years old. Okay. Um, so, and I'm at the point now, I think I might need bifocals because I started realizing that I, my, I can't read as well. So I, I don't know. Oh, no. Like, just not great vision. Uh, oh. But I'm okay with that. I have lots of other good things. So yeah, I can't live <laughs> without my glasses. And... Um, my Course in Miracles. I follow Course in Miracles, which is like a spiritual text, and I've been following it for over 10 years now. And um, I don't think I could live without it. What is that? I've never heard of that before. So A Course in Miracles is um, a spiritual book that contains three sections, the text, uh, the workbook for students, and the manual for teachers. And it is... Um, it, it takes, it uses a Christian framework. So God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, but, um, it, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not, I'm not going to do it justice. It's to encourage liberation from the thought system of the ego and to recognize what is real and what's not. Hmm. So, um, the workbook for students is like lessons. So every day you have a lesson. What was my lesson today? Can I remember it? Um, no, I can't. But I try to do my lessons every day. And I've had periods in my life where I've really leaned on it as a form of um, support and spirituality. And yeah, I love it. There's a lot of spiritual teachers because you can use it with combine it with almost any form of spirituality. Hmm. So there are a lot of spiritual teachers who use it in conjunction with other things. So I don't know if you ever heard of like Marianne Williamson, her book, A Return to Love, that's hmm. based on the foundational teachings of A Course in Miracles. Um, there's tons of people who are, you know, Oprah, Yanla Van Zandt, uh, many people who um, are fans of A Course in Miracles and follow it. Yeah. Wow. And so it's literally a text that takes you through a bunch of lessons and teachings and things. So the first part them? is the text. Okay. So the text is almost it's like almost like a Bible. Sure. Uh, but about like the complete thought system. Right. And the second part is a text uh, is a, a workbook. So oh, it's okay. just like a lesson every day. Just ask you to Got spend it. 15 minutes every day meditating on this thing. And how many, is it like a year's worth? Yes. Less? Okay. And then the last part is uh, the manual for teachers. So it's for people who want to go forth in the world and teach A Course in Miracles lessons and teachings and to to further understand them. Wow. Yeah. Is there is there a lesson that you can remember that you can share with us? Um, uh, I don't know if it's a lesson. Actually, it's like one of my favorite 
things in the text. I don't know if there's a lesson based around it because the text in the workbook go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But um, I can pull up. I have the app on my phone. Yeah. I'm really curious because I've never heard of this before. Maybe I'm just not as (laughs) well read when it comes to spiritual texts. Oh, no. For some reason, it's not letting me open it. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a lesson that I really like. Um, Even high level. one that comes to mind is all things are lessons God would have me learn. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, sort of. That but it starts off very, very basic. Uh-huh. Like I forget one of the first lessons is about like observing the things around you. Um, oh, I can't remember. Oh, you would think I would know off the top of my head, like a single definitive lesson, but no. No, that's that's fair. I mean, I feel like, you know, even like Power of Now, like there, there's a lot of, of, I'm sure, similar essences of some of these things. Like, Well, I think uh, Eckhart Tolle says it, mm-hmm. or no, Krishnamurti said this, the truth is the truth no matter the form. Mm-hmm. And Eckhart Tolle in his book, Stillness Speaks, says... Um, he says that there are like sutras and um, all kinds of texts that all speak to the same thing. Mm. And so the music is different, but the notes are the same. Right. You know? Um, So I've read many spiritual texts that use different frameworks. My minor in university was Buddhism psychology. But the reason why I did that was because I was reading a lot of Buddhist texts and Mm -hmm. Um, doing mindful-based techniques to to um, help deal with uh, issues I was having. Mm-hmm. And that program is like the study of Buddhism, Buddhist techniques, uh, mindfulness and contemplative practices on the mind. Um, and so for some of our courses, we were required to read sutras and then write about them and how it made us feel or how it changed our perspective on something. And... Um, I think that, like, you know, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, um, A Course in Miracles, all these things, if you're open and willing, can also, they, they can all inform you, inform each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'm someone who identifies as spiritual and not religious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what resonates with me is true. I gravitate to and I am open to and then I leave the rest. That's a really great way to be. Um you know, I, I think that traditional religion came at a time when we needed systems to make sense of our world. And it was our way of creating community and traditions and things like that to bond socially and create structure and rules. And so I think what can happen is we get lost in some of these rules. I think people just take it literally. They do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And instead of just capturing the essence and that spirituality of it to then, as you said, like inform your life Mm -hmm. and, you know, not literally living their life by it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to speak on that publicly, but yeah, (laughs) we we can take it. We can take it offline. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like we can get into like a, a big, long podcast just about that alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, when I went to Thailand, that was my first like real exposure to 
Buddhist practices and Buddhist texts and stuff like that. And I found I really enjoyed a lot of the philosophies that I learned mm. about um, not being so attached to material things mm. and being able to be more mindful and, and all that mm. good stuff. But anyways, I digress. So question nine is, is there anything you'd like to promote? I don't really have anything to promote Girl, right. you're on TV. Oh, I guess. <laughs> and uh, you're a producer. Tell us something. <laughs> okay. Well, um, there's a film that I starred in last summer called Acquainted, directed by Toronto director Natty Zavitz. And it's premiering at the Whistler Film Festival um, December 1st. Uh, and it starred Giacomo Giannotti and Liza D'Oliveira and Jonathan Keltz and Adelaide Kane and myself. And Rachel Skartston. And I'm in a show called In Contempt, which is on BET. And if you go on the website or you down, download the BET Play app, you can watch it. And I play Vanessa Hastings on that show. I've also starred in Murdoch Mysteries, which is uh, on the CBC. And you can find it also on Netflix, I think. And I was in season 9, 10, and a little bit of 11. Uh, I am also the star of the film Brown Girl Begins, by, directed by Sharon Lewis, um, which you can see on literally every Air Canada plane. <laughs> um, I get a message every other day from someone who's like, oh my God, I saw you on my flight. <laughs> um, I, what else? Are you working on anything? I'm writing. Wise? Okay. So I'm working on a television show that I've been working on for a couple of years uh, that I can't really speak much about. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on a feature film as well that I'm writing. And um, and then I just, I write random things here and there, write for other people, just a lot. And I write for myself. Uh, nothing is even close to being able to speak about in a concrete way, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. That's so great. And is there anywhere where people can find you online? Um, I, I prefer people to find me on Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. So at underscore Muna Traore. So at underscore M-O-U-N-A-T-R-A-O-R-E on both of those platforms. Um, but that's really it. Sounds good. Yeah. That's great. Um, I was curious, of all the things that you've done up to now, what has been your absolute favorite project that you've worked on? Oh, that's so hard. Like, my favorite project that I've worked on mm -hmm. might be In Contempt. I had a lot of fun shooting that show. You look like such a badass in it. Yeah. <laughs> Little lawyer girl. Um, or Assassin's Creed. I was uh, a character. I played actually several characters in the Assassin's Creed um, Origins video game. So Origins, wow. it, it takes place in, in um, Egypt and parts of Africa. And so it was like a really black ass cast. And it was just the most fun Um Ubisoft gave us so much freedom as actors to play and really explore the world. And it literally reminded me of what it was like acting like when I was a child. Just, you know, you just 
like obviously we had all the the mocap gear on and everything so it's a very weird experience because you're literally wearing almost like a space suit but when we actually got down to it they were like okay well what do you guys want to do and so i'd be like i'm gonna jump off here and i'm gonna shoot him here and i'm gonna like run over here and like wow. it was just like playing a fight game with your friend in your backyard that's so cool so are they capturing your image and your voice or so like they capture everything on your face and on your body so they're you're covered in dots so oh. like they would literally put dots all over my face right and then i'd put on the suit and there'd be these little balls and dots all over me and then you go into the studio and the studio has like 360 cameras so mm -hmm. you're literally being um filmed by cameras you're surrounded by cameras being filmed and you have to work within this like contained space mm -hmm. but other than that they gave us like a lot of free reign and you know the acting is obviously like if you watch you can watch videos of people playing these characters on on youtube and whatever like like you know when people film themselves playing the game and the acting is like big and fun and you know with accents and very grand and so it was great it was so much fun again like it did not feel like i remember just being like oh my god i'm getting paid to do this oh my god <laughs> be like a video game star that's yeah. so cool and there are video game stars wow i'm not one of them but i would love to be it's a it's the coolest job <laughs> that's badass that's so cool it's very cool well and on the flip side because a lot of people who are listening they aren't actors and when we think of how acting could be, we see a lot of the glitz and glamour. We see the finished product. We see the red carpets. Can you just sum up like, what the realities of being an actress is? I think the reality is like insecurity. I think most, if not all of us, are intensely insecure. Um, and everybody's human. I think that so many people put actors and these public people on a pedestal as if they don't deal with the same things that you do, but they do. But unfortunately, it's also like amplified and put under a magnifying glass. And I can't imagine, you know, being some of these A-list stars who, you know, might be grieving for a loved one or whatever, and then some other aspect of their life is sensationalized. Mm. Um, I think especially actors are sensitive people. I think that's perhaps why we do what we do because we are sensitive to the human condition and we have something to say about it or we want to do something about it. Mm. Um, and this is the way that we know how. And so I, I think that um, people should know that, you know, actors are not only human, but very sensitive creatures. And that also like, we piss and shit and fart just like everybody else. Really? Most of the time. <laughs> not Yeah. Most of the time, you know, I walk around looking like shit. When you see those pictures of me on social media, all glammed up or whatever, mm. that takes fucking effort. And that is not <laughs> me most of the time. If you run into me on the street, the likelihood that I will look like that or I will like live up to some idea that you have of me, it, it, it ain't going to happen, sweetie. Mm -hmm. And I and that's also something I've had to learn, too, because, you know, in times where I've met, you know, some well-known actors that I've really admired or, you know, I met my biggest celebrity crush this year. Who's that? Uh, Boyd Holbrook. Oh, I love Boyd Holbrook. And Amazing. like, he wasn't like a disappointment, but he was just himself. And obviously I have this fantasy that he's never going to live up to because it's completely delusional. Um, right. But he was so sweet and he was so nice. Aww. But like, you know, you know, I project 
my fantasy onto that person and i think that we do that all the time it's like as opinionated and as judgmental as i am as someone like kim kardashian i don't know her and she's Mm -hmm. also human Mm -hmm. and even though she's like such a huge celebrity like i have no right to to make assumptions about her her life or her ability as a mother because i don't know her Mm-hmm. And she's going through this the way everybody else is. And it's like, you know, you don't know if somebody's dealing with mental illness or mental health issue. You don't know if someone is, you know, struggling with an eating disorder or something like that. Like you, re- like everybody is fighting about a battle. You have no idea that they're fighting every single person. And um, I would say that like, you know, say you see someone walking a red carpet and you get pissed off that they don't want to sign something or take a picture with you. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the fuck happened to them that day. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just like one more, they just don't have in them mm-hmm. because it takes a, so much energy and, and so much um, out of yourself to be that person for other people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need to just be there for yourself. Yeah, that is true. And I think that's a really important reminder that these are human beings and to not always put them on such a pedestal you know even the way in which we act in toronto during tiff people literally stake out in front of hotels just to see someone and scream at them and, i know and try like to people are like staking out for george clooney or whatever and it's like the man has two babies and a wife like yeah. <laughs> yes this is part of the job and yes like he's a very gracious public person mm-hmm. but at the end of the day like like I wish people were that excited about, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or like, you know, (laughs) the politicians and the people who are actively trying to make changes because those are the people who, who really need that support and that energy. Yeah. Like George Clooney is going back to his like $10 million home and in, you know, living his life. Yep. Our girl, RBG, still has more ribs. She's good, man. I know. I know. <laughs> Knock on Touch wood. wood. I know. <laughs> um, and then the day-to-day of being an actor, what's that like? Like at a high level. Um, at a high level. Girl, I'm not there, so I can't tell you. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, you know, like, give us an overview of, you know, what is it like to actually do that job? So for me, when I'm working on a job and say I'm working on a job that's like crazy hours, like mm-hmm. six days a week, 13 to 16 hours a day. Wow. For me, a lot of it is just trying to make it through. So like waking up in the morning, praying, meditating, going to work, going in my trailer, establishing an energy in my trailer. So possibly praying, meditating there or just getting connected um, because it's a very social environment too, because there's hundreds of people working on set. So Mm. I got to like calibrate myself and my brain to be around and with and supportive of all these other team members. Um, because I want to contribute. I want to take anything away from all the work that everybody else is doing. Mm. And then, you know, going to set, doing my scenes when I'm not on, on camera, going back to my chair, working on lines or like reading a book or twiddling on my phone or going back to my trailer and having a nap if I can manage it. And then, you know, when I go home, usually it's just like eat some food, learn my lines for the next day and pass out. I mean, seems like a lot of work. Um, it I mean, is memorizing lines. Oh my God. You have no idea the kind of brain power it takes for some people. For me, it takes a lot. I smoked a lot of weed in high Oof. school, so I'm working with the deficit. <laughs> 
Yeah, we did an interview with a, a singer recently, and I had the same kind of feedback. I'm like, man, I can't even do karaoke like with the words up on the screen in front of me. So I can't imagine having to remember whole scenes, whole shows. But it, it's you know? like a muscle. It's like I've been doing it for so long. Like right. when I start to do it, it's like my brain's like, okay, I got this. Yeah. But like honestly, part of it for me is like the discipline of like sitting down and making myself learn lines because. I hate doing it and I know I can do it very quickly. So it's just like pushing myself to like, no, do it again, yep. do it again, get it perfect. It's not good enough. Is it just repetition for you? Is that the No, sauce? I have so many tricks. Really? Um, so the one thing I did do in university was uh, cognitive science. And so I learned a few things about how like cognition works that have helped me get better at memorizing lines. So I do all kinds of things to trick myself. Like, Sometimes I'll make um, places in the room lines or associations. So when I look at this thing, I know I have to say that line or whatever. Or I, I memorize my lines backwards because then I don't wow. get stuck on them when I go forwards. Like just weird things to change the neural pathways. Um, how, how do you, so like literally saying the sentence backwards or no, like the order like of the, the lines? No, order of the lines backwards. Oh. Um, and then doing them forward. Like I do, or like... Physical activity really helps. So learning my lines while being physically active. So learning them on a treadmill or when I'm like working on them, whenever I say my line, I do something like a physical motion or I dance because I get into my body. And so I remember it better than if I'm just wow. sitting passively. Yeah. Weird, weird things. But yeah, that's so interesting. And like when I walk around Toronto, I'm sure people think I'm nuts because I talk to myself all the time. But it's usually because I'm just like running lines constantly. <laughs> that is my life. Well, nowadays, especially with like the cordless headphones and stuff. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I pretend it, that I'm listening. To, I'm, I'm talking to somebody in my headphones <laughs> when I'm really memorizing lines. If I have my headphones. Yeah, yeah. no, it's true. It's true. Not so crazy. Um, that's so cool. I've definitely learned something new. So to round things off with question 10. What is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think a question that I learned the hard way was to trust myself. I think especially in relationships, I was so quick to convince myself that what I was seeing was not what I was seeing, you know, like being like, no, 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 it's not really that thing. Or I'm just being difficult or like, you know, excusing things away mm. and not trusting like, I know that person is being deceptive or I know that this person's lying or what that person did didn't make me feel good. Like I didn't trust that I knew what I knew. Do you think that goes back to... Uh, you seeking validation and hoping for validation or is it more of a I think it's it, it's like not it's like love and not valuing myself mm -hmm. and like thinking that I deserve certain treatment like I think that if I loved and valued myself I would be able to say this doesn't feel right this isn't making me feel good mm -hmm. this isn't okay I'm gonna walk away rather mm -hmm. than that didn't make me feel good, but I did this and I did that. And maybe he's going through this and maybe he's going through that. So I'll just stay a bit longer to see if I can change him or whatever. I feel like I wasted so much time <laughs> in my life, mostly with like romantic relationships, but with some friends as well, giving space, time and energy to people who 
were violating the deepest part of my being and my truth. And it doesn't have to be in like an aggressive, violent way or anything. It's just Mm -hmm. that I knew on a very primal level that that person wasn't for me or that experience wasn't for me or this was taking my power away and I actively gave my power away or put myself in a place to have my power taken away because I didn't trust my instincts and I didn't believe in myself enough to walk away or to be okay with like letting that thing go and waiting for something better. Wow, I moved. (laughs) And that's incredibly, incredibly important. And I would be surprised if more or less not every single woman has gone through this type of interaction or this type of experience. But the thing is, like most things, I think it's a learning curve. It's like, I'm still doing this. I'm still learning like moment to moment. Like I had a conversation with someone today and I was, I I know how I feel about something we were talking about, but I walked it back and I didn't stand up for myself and I didn't say what I really wanted to say, mm-hmm. which is, I don't like this person. I don't want them in my life. I let someone else convince me to keep this person in my life. When I know deep down, I don't like that person. I don't mm-hmm. fuck with them. Yeah. Yeah. I, it depends on the context. So I, I think if it's a one-to-one thing and it's not like, say, a professional um, context or something like that, where, you know, for, you know, the sake of your career, whatever you need to just put it aside and deal with it. If it is a professional, I think it's all the same personally. I think that like Mm. the integrity with which I treat one relationship, I should treat all relationships Mm -hmm. and it's incumbent upon me to be the gatekeeper in my life. And that comes with professional and, uh, personal. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have to be willing to take that risk of being difficult, of being unlikable, of losing something if I want to get something better. That's it. Hmm. I believe that 100%. But I didn't didn't follow that today. And I'm like, now I'm like... Fudge, what am I going to do? <laughs> are you are you going to go back and... I don't know. I have to sleep on it and figure it out. I have yeah. to have a conversation with God about that because... Yeah. It's an uphill battle with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. I, I struggle with this in my own life. I think in a lot of areas I've been able to now assert myself pretty wholeheartedly. Like, Hey, um, this is a person I don't, I have no interest in having a friendship with because they've mistreated me in the past or I don't, I see the way they, they treat other people and I don't like to roll with that energy. Like I don't believe in their morals and values and things like that. So I'm going to, disassociate myself from that but there have been plenty experiences um you know what i'm sort of alluding to in a professional context where i see people doing things that are of low integrity and i still have to for the sake of my job um you know continue to keep the peace and so the way in which i have to be is just kind of disassociate myself from that person in certain ways but still be able to cooperate and work closely so yeah that i I understand i understand what you mean yeah i think i'm getting to a stage in my life though where like my threshold for other people's bullshit or my threshold for situations that i don't like is very low yeah and um you give less fucks. It depends on like the situation, but there are certain things where I'm just like, I don't like that person. I'm not working with them. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it. I'd rather be poor and not work. 
Yeah. And that's tough, especially, you know, you're looking at your career, you're looking at your, mm-hmm. your bank account. But again, I, I do have the privilege to be able to make those decisions. Right. Don't have kids, don't have an apartment because I'm living with my parents. Yeah. And they feed me for free. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so obviously like all, all that comes into account as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I think that's a good place to to leave off. Uh, It gives me a lot to chew on personally, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure our listeners too. Um, But listen, when it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I I think we've gone deep, and I appreciate that. So, (laughs) of course. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.